It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, November the 19th, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live after a brief unexpected break for a couple of weeks due to the unexpected loss of my mom, who I've spoken about many times on this program. And we are going to continue with the program, and this evening's program is really a tribute to my mom. Um, We have a really important show this evening, and Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us, of course, to make this show run smoothly. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by senior advocate Kim Weaver, who returns to the show. And this time, Kim and I will have a discussion about advocating for our loved ones in long-term care, and Kim will talk about some resources for family members in this effort to advocate. And later in the program, I'll talk briefly about some of the lessons I've learned about living with passion no matter our age or even physical disability as well as finding our peace and passion in this world of uncertainty. And these are the start of lessons from my mom. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links that we might talk about on the program. And you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and you'll also be able to hear it on apple podcasts for information from prior programs and to listen to all of the shows since we started on blog talk radio you can go to drmaricarpel.com you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and you can go to apple podcasts And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Damara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming shows and events. This evening's program is produced by Compass Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break um, so we can play our other sponsors' commercials. Um, Don't go anywhere because it'll be very brief. And when we come back, Kim Weaver will talk about senior advocacy. Um, So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information, or to report fraud, 
Call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from Iowa is senior advocate Kim Weaver to talk about advocating for our loved ones in long-term care. Welcome back, Kim. Thank you, Mara. I First of all, I just have to say, as you know, I my sincere condolences on losing your mom, but I think that your audience needs to know that you were an amazing advocate for her. And it's, I mean, you have to step up. Thank you. And do that. And so I'm I'm happy to be here. Um, so let's get on with it. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. And and just as a reminder, I know you've been on the program before, but for you to know and our listeners to know there's just a slight delay when we speak like this, like maybe half a second, but it can trip us up if we're not aware. Um, so, so, Kim, you know, you've been coming on the show for several years now, um, but maybe you can let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and why you're the expert on this topic. I'm not sure how much of an expert I am, but I do have a lot of experience. I, for the last 16 years, I have worked for the Iowa Long-Term Care Ombudsman's Office. And I have to be very clear, I am not here representing the office. That could get me in trouble, but uh-huh. I know a lot about advocacy. And I, my mom lived with me for five months before she passed and I was with my dad in the hospital when he had a heart attack for three weeks. And so I've, I've always felt that, you know, we have to be basically mama bears or papa bears to stand up for our seniors. And what I see in a lot of nursing homes is that families don't actually realize the, the power that they have in nursing Mm -hmm. homes and there's a lot of things that they can do. And I highly, highly, highly recommend that your listeners, if they have any concerns, they look up their long-term care ombudsman in their state because every single state has one and they are advocates for the resident. They're not there for the facility, and much to family chagrin sometimes, they're not there for the family either. Um, But we, you know, when our our elders get older, and especially like, I just remember my mom, she had COPD and congestive heart failure, and she was 
weak and tired. But she, all of her life, had been a huge, huge fighter and advocate for other people. And I learned that from her. And Mm -hmm. there was no way I was going to allow her to have substandard care. And I'll I'll tell you, I this maybe shocks some of your listeners, but I've been doing a bunch of research on moving to Mexico when I retire. I you know, the care there is better to some degree. Mm-hmm. We pay a lot in like it's nothing to pay nine thousand dollars a month for a nursing home. And mm-hmm. you just you don't get the quality of care. And I'm not I'm not bashing the care providers, but there's a huge shortage of staff and you know, they can only do what they can do. But the thing is, you can't be afraid of speaking up. And I had two different families in the last just last week that a administrator basically kind of threatened to kick their parent out of the nursing Mm -hmm. home because the family member was complaining. But what people need to realize is there's a process per the federal code. They can't just kick you out. They have to issue an involuntary discharge. And, you know, sometimes it's not comfortable fighting. Sometimes you're the problem child, um, so to speak. But, you know, I've, never had a problem standing up for my kids or my parents. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's what we have to do. And it's not always comfortable. And I know that you've gotten involved in family councils, which were wonderful because families need to be involved. And in this day and age, you know, families are scattered around very mobile mm-hmm. society. So they're not always close, but you were able to get connected electronically with a family council. Yes. And so well, actually I started the family council. <laughs> it wasn't the family council. I there started it with, with the help, I have to say, of the ombudsman office. So I didn't know how to start a family council Um, When I contacted the um, social worker at the, my mom's facility, I asked, do you have a family council? And she said, no, because we can't because of COVID. And I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) And I contacted the ombudsman program and they actually, they have a, in the state of Connecticut, and I don't know, you know, how many states have this, but they actually have a statewide family council. Uh, with the link on the ombudsman program website. So, and the names of and um, email addresses of the chair and the co-chair. So I actually contacted them. I joined the statewide family council and I contacted the chair and the co-chair and I said, I need help. I want to start a family council. And their goal actually is to start a family council in every nursing home in the state. So they were very happy to help me and, you know, they gave me a lot of information. It did take a lot of work, um, 
I already knew a few other family members, so I was able to get them interested. And so I knew I would have a core group even before anybody else knew about it. And I was informed of the federal laws. Um, the ombudsman, I found, could tell you all of the federal and state oh. laws. And one of them is that the um, nursing home is required to um, help, even though they don't necessarily want a family counsel, they are required to help in notifying families, all the families in the facility, and even providing, whether it's an in-person physical space or a um, or a platform, although I use my own, I use my own Zoom, but they are actually required if you don't have that to provide that. And the state ombudsman actually is now, now that I'm no longer doing it, the state ombudsman program is providing the platform um, because the family council has continued without me. Um, but, but you're so right, it's so important, Kim, because um, we made a huge difference. I mean, the, the new person who took over listed all the things that were accomplished since the family council started. Um, and they were real, they weren't, they weren't minor. They were pretty big things. Um, so, you know, you talked about people being afraid to speak up, but one of the reasons that I started a family council was so that I was not a lone voice. It was multiple families, um, and they didn't even know who. It was pretty anonymous. So we all spoke up together as a combined wow. voice, which is so much more powerful. It is, and it's, it's important because you're supporting each other, and mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to, like, bash facilities because there's always good people everywhere. But they, they tend to be, like, they want you to be involved, but only as much as they want you to be involved. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like I used to say, like, the PTA. You know, the school teachers would say, oh, this parent is overly involved because they're asking about grades and everything else. And then they complain other parents aren't involved, but really what they want is a parent to bring treats for parties and go along <laughs> on a field trip, you know? And uh -huh, that's uh -huh. kind, yep, kind of what facilities want. And, you know, you keep asking questions, but our job as an advocate for our family members is, you know, we're their protector. And I look at it, I was very, very close to my paternal grandmother. And I would go visit her on the farm up in South Dakota. And she took me around to visit all the great aunties and great uncles and everybody else, my great grandma. And I learned a deep, deep appreciation for my elders. And, you know, I just figured I'm the person I am because I was protected and nurtured and, and brought up by my elders. And so I feel like I need to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate that um, our society, I mean, we don't have like the 
multi-generational families that we used to have. And when I look at, like I said, I look seriously looking at moving to Mexico. Um, when you look, I know, I know, we'll talk about that later. But in the U.S., you rarely see um, Latino people in nursing homes because they take care of their family. Mm-hmm. And they respect their elders. And the cost of care in the U.S. is, like, pathetic. And you don't even get that quality. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have a facility I'm working with right now that, you know, it's just some of the basic things that they should be doing, they're not. And mm-hmm. any family member that complains about it, they're just being difficult. So I've had to go for a couple of, you know, meetings with the administrator and the family and basically say, uh, no, this is a basic need. This is a legit concern. You need to take care of it. And that's why I also, like, really, really recommend connecting with your long-term care office because we are, like, in Iowa, so normally in a lot of the different state departments, they can only lobby for whatever the governor wants. The long-term care ombudsman in every single state is independent. And we can lobby for what, well, not we, my my boss, can lobby for what she feels residents need. And it's huge because we're kind of like this special snowflake in a way that, you know, we, we're not mandatory reporters, which shocked the crap out of me when I first started this job because 10 years before that I was a social worker with DHS. But the reason is mm. because we're advocates for the residents. And if they tell us that someone's abusing them and they don't give us permission to report it, we can't mm. because we are completely driven by advocating for the residents. And mm-hmm. it, the one thing I love about my job is that I make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I was running for office many years ago, I always said that what I do for a living isn't just what I do, it's who I am. So I, I like to empower family members and residents to stand up for themselves. And sometimes residents mm-hmm. can't. You know, they're afraid mm-hmm. or they're tired, their health isn't good. But, you know, I get a lot of family that will call me and they have a concern I said, okay, this is what I can do. I can call the facility or I could provide you with, because sometimes they're concerned about retaliation. And I, I, like, I have good relationships with the facilities I work with. I don't go in there with guns a-blazing or anything like that. I'm just trying to find a solution. But mm-hmm. I provide mm-hmm. them with information on the code. And sometimes I'll say, like, okay, so send an email to the administrator and include me in on it. And that sometimes is the only thing it takes 
right. to get a situation solved. You know, right. I, I always joke that I don't carry a big stick, but I know people who do. Right. And, right. you know, family members can make a huge difference in well, the quality think, of care. And, and, you know, when that reminds me of when, you know, when we started the family council, I think one of the reasons that we got such a quick response from the administration, not not a, that it's a bad, I mean, my mom was in one of the best nursing homes I had ever seen, and, and that was, you know, I worked in many nursing homes in, this, in the New York area and in Texas, and this was by far the nicest mm-hmm. one I'd ever seen, and I thought, you know, but you know, there are issues in every nursing home. And I think I really felt that after being kind of discouraged by the social worker and a couple of other staff members, no, you don't need a family council. Um, the thing that made made them pay attention was that I mentioned in my email yep. in introducing myself as the facilitator of the family council that I was being helped in doing this by the state ombudsman program. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Very quickly. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) And I, I tell family members that I, I tend to get an email answered more quickly than they do. And that's not Mm -hmm. right because I'm not as important as they are. But, you know, they, they're they like, okay, so there are some outside eyes on us. And, it's, I mean, it's not a threat, but it's also a, hey, this family member has support. This family member has someone who's going to provide them with information on the federal code and the state codes. And, you know, there's been so many times when I've had facilities tell family members, like, oh, we can't do this or that because it's against the code. When in reality, it's not. It's maybe against one of their, like, unwritten policies, which Mm -hmm. to me, people remember, if it's not written, it's not really a policy. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, facilities, and I don't, I don't blame the staff so much because sometimes they don't really know that not a code thing, a federal code thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. more of a facility policy. But one thing I also see, and I don't know, like I only know Iowa, but when I go into facilities, there'll be this notice because they have to let everybody know how to contact their ombudsman. But there'll be this notice that says, if you have any concerns, call this number first and that's their corporate number oh wow yeah it's not it is not a real advocate and so it's like okay so you call them they're going to try to do damage control Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know and what i always tell people too is that when they call me i i tell them whatever you say to me is confidential I will not mention or investigate anything without your permission. Mm -hmm. And that really helps a lot of people because they're afraid. They're afraid of retaliation. And when I first started this job, 
like years and years ago, um, people say, oh, I'm afraid of retaliation. And I would say, oh, that's not going to happen. But now, after a lot of years of experience, I say, you know, I can't guarantee that won't happen. Right. Which it could happen. Unfortunate. Yeah, it could happen. So, so let me ask you, Kim, um, you know, what are some of the important issues that you see that family, family members should be looking at and, and saying something about if they see it, whether to the facility or to the ombudsman, if that doesn't go anywhere? What are, what are some of the issues? I'm seeing a lot of, like, unsafe transfers. They're supposed to have, if somebody is unsteady and needs assistance, they're supposed to have a gate belt on. And mm-hmm. if they, a, a gate belt is kind of like this, like, big belt around their waist. But sometimes people think, especially if the resident is frail, that, oh, I can pick them up by, you know, their armpits, and then they end up dislocating their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Call lights not being answered quickly. What end up, ends up happening is, an individual needs to use the bathroom and, you know, you get older, all of a sudden you got to go, you got to go. And Mm -hmm. they don't answer it. So the resident tries to get up and go on their own and they fall and are injured. That's a big issue. Other things I see are weight loss due to people who maybe need assistance with eating but they're mm-hmm. not getting that assistance because especially if they have some dementia, they might be slow to eat and need a little bit more coaxing, but they don't want to spend that time doing that. Another mm-hmm. issue is um, people who can't reposition themselves in their beds and they're just put into bed and they're laying there in the same position for 12 hours mm-hmm. and they end up mm-hmm. getting um, sores, bed sores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a big issue. And also, you know, a lot of the, the CNAs, certified nurse assistants are really overworked and underpaid. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of times when a resident might need two-person transfer, but the CNA goes in there and there's nobody else around, and so they just try to transfer the person on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I, when I go into facilities, I really actually like to go in at the noon meal time and just sit there and watch what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's really disheartening because you see these CNAs just like pushing people in their wheelchairs and not talking to them. And it's almost like they're moving furniture instead of a human being. Right. And that's, you know, I don't know how, like we have a broken care system. I don't know how we fix that. Yeah. One of of the biggest issues that we worked on as a family council, because what kept coming up for us and our family members was that because of the staffing shortage and different aides coming in to substitute, maybe their aides in the building who work, they're either agency aides or they worked for the facility, but they were, you know, just substitutes. 
that they were called into different units. So they didn't know, they didn't get to know the people on the unit. Sometimes there would be an entire shift where every staff member in that household, they had households instead of units in my mom's nursing home. Every staff member in that household was someone who didn't know the residents. The nurse was Mm -hmm. either agency or a substitute, you know, a PRN, they call it, as needed (laughs) nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, And the two caregivers or during the day, maybe it was three or four, they were all subs. So they didn't know the residents. And so what we found is that they were not following the care plan that's all written on a care card that there's every shift is supposed to get a new care card telling you what the particular needs or even not even like medical needs, but just desires, their preferences that make a difference in quality of life um, for that resident. And so they were completely ignoring that and just doing what was most efficient for them. So that was oh, what definitely. Yeah, and that was what we found. We had to really push to get them to come up with a plan, um, the administration to come up with a plan for better um, compliance with that care card. And I recently had an issue like that. And agency staff, you know, they the quality varies. I I went Mm -hmm. into a facility one time when masks were so mandated, and the CNA had her mask down below her chin. And I'm, I'm wearing a name tag, driving a state vehicle. And I said, that's not the appropriate way to wear a mask. She rolled her eyes and walked past me. And <laughs> I went to the DON. And I'm like, seriously? Um, but I also had a case recently where I worked with the facility. And I said, you know, let's find a solution here. Because um, a lot of times agency staff, they have to be there at three. They clock in at three and they hit the ground running. And I said, you know, maybe you should give them at least 15 to 20 minutes once they clock in to orient themselves to mm-hmm. you know, to the residents. And, you know, they're like, wow, yeah, we could do that. And to change, you know, make sure the care cards are are correct and preferences are on there. And, you know, the thing is with agency staff, we have a lot of that in Iowa. Um, We have a lot of rural facilities. I've had, I guess, like six nursing homes closed in the last year. And Mm, it's mm -hmm. horrible. And it's mostly due to the lack of ability to get staff. And when, when you have agency staff come in, they cost like, four times what normal staff would cause. And so then that makes it even more difficult, but they don't know the people. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. thing, if you, if people are looking at a nursing home for their loved one, um, Centers for Medicaid Services, CMS, has a website. You just go on and, and Google nursing home compare. And then you can go on there, and they now have a part of that report that that talks about how much agency staff do they have and how much of a turnover that they have. Mm. 
mm-hmm. I think a huge quality indicator is lack of turnover. If right. you have, I, I have some facilities, I can't even keep track of who the administrator is. You know, but I have other mm. facilities that the administrator has been there as long as I've been doing this job. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, that continuity is, is good, very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I heard um, I was given a report by the, as I said, by the new facilitator of the family council listing the things that were achieved since the family council started, which was very nice of her to send that to me. And one of the things that she said was that they now have instituted random rounds, um, unannounced, where they check to make sure that the care card is on the caregivers. So who does that? Who does the rounds? I'm not sure. I think it's the nursing supervisor for the floor. Okay. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, they have different nursing supervisors. So um, that's really good because, you know, the administration was telling us, oh, well, they are reading the care cards because they're required to. And they don't we always said, have time. No, they're not. Well, you know, we we recommended that they sign off every shift that they read the care card, and they didn't. That we were told they won't. That will not happen. But, um, but we, you know, we let them know. You know, the so the 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 approach that we took that was successful was that we were we tried not to be adversaries with the administration. Mm-hmm. We told them that we see ourselves as part of the same team, that we would like a positive outcome. You know, they don't want to have complaints against them. Um, And we want quality of life for our loved ones. So we're on the same team. And the family members are really the boots on the ground. Family members are the ones who see what's going on when they visit or if they have family, their resident family member is cognitively alert. They can tell them what's going on every time they Uh call. So even though the administration is like, oh, everything is good, we we came up with a plan and it's all great, Um, we were the ones who could say, well, you know, this is the problem. You know, this is what we've seen. Um, I've even had an agency nurse say to me, oh, I didn't know that your mother wanted that. You should put that on the care card. And (laughs) I said, it is on the care card. It's been on the care card. So obviously she never read it. So, you know, we, we, and, and we said to them, look, if you have this plan of how you're going to deal with this noncompliance to the care card, um, and you think it's going to work, can you tell us what we can do when every single time that we see that it isn't working? So we can yeah, let good. you know. We yeah. can be your informers. And they, that actually, they really liked that idea. They said, okay, you, you know, if you're on this floor, you call this person. You know, basically the different floors have different nursing supervisors, and you need to either email them or call them and tell them the problem. And um, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's 
that would be my advice. Maybe you have something else you can add to this, but my advice in terms of what I found to be successful in in running this family council and even in dealing with issues independently with my mom directly with the administration or the nursing supervisor was to approach it as a team effort and not an adversary that that this is what's happening this is a problem and you know letting occasionally letting them know that i know this is this is a federal requirement and i don't want to have to go further with it i mean sometimes that unspoken threat sometimes is important so that you can't be gas you can't be gaslighted into like well you know it's just how we do things (laughs) well i know that so i drive a state vehicle which our regulatory agency that also gives fines and citations and puts stuff on the internet they also drive those so i pull into a facility and everybody's going oh my god state's here state's here and i walk into the building and i can't tell you how many times the administrators come out like oh it's just kim i'm like really (laughs) I don't get it, uh-huh. but what I, what I explain to my administrators is that even though my job description says I am a complaint investigator, I consider myself to be a solution facilitator. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not there to point fingers. We can't change the past. Let's figure out how to make it better going mm-hmm. forward. And mm-hmm. You know, a lot of family members, you know, I would, I would probably be the daughter from hell if my parents were, you know, ever had to go to a nursing home. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's because I know what they need. And it's unfortunate that family members sometimes get labeled. And that's why it's really good to bring in the ombudsman if you can. Because, you know, I, I have family, they're like, oh, they're going to hate it. I'm like, seriously, they'd rather have me there. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, they'd we rather can, have you. They'd rather have you there than a family member who is just completely so frustrated that they're, you know, it's yeah, easy to true. get really worked up. Um, I don't blame the family member because I've been there, but it's good to have somebody who can kind of talk hot. Con- speak calmly and remind the facility of what they're supposed to do. Um, And I've had, I've been at um, care conferences where I'm kind of like the nursing home lingo interpreter and, Mm -hmm. you know, the family saying one thing and usually at care conferences, it's like 10 people from the facility and one family member and they feel overwhelmed Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I go, I just kind of basically I'm a facilitator for open conversation. And there's a lot of times that family's saying the exact same thing that the staff is saying, but they're speaking a different lingo. A different lingo, yeah. Yep. And staff, you know, a lot of the people that, I mean, that work in nursing homes, they care deeply about mm-hmm. people. And so anytime they feel like they're criticized, they they get defensive. And so it's important to kind of like calm that down 
and say, right. no, it's not that you did something wrong. But the other thing too is I, I, I remember a conversation I had with the director of nursing who she was all upset because this one son was really angry and was attacking her and she was just really upset. She's like, you know, I really love what I do. I care about these people. And I saw a picture on her desk of this little girl that was like maybe a toddler. Like, oh, is that your daughter? She said, yeah. And I said, does she go to daycare? And she's like, yeah. Like, okay, so tell me, when you take her to daycare, do you ever, when you take her home, count how many diapers were used out of her diaper bag? She's like, well, yeah. Like, okay, does that mean you don't trust the people that are taking care of your child? Oh, no. And I said to her, you know, this son maybe promised his mommy when he was five that she would never have to go to a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And he's not there seeing what's going on. And his anger and frustration is probably more fear and guilt and grief. And it's not even necessarily directed at you. And she looked at me like, I never thought of it that way. But, you know, people react differently. I mean, it's, especially if you can't be there. Yep. Yep. That's very true. Very true. So, Kim, um, in the one minute that we have left (laughs) before we run over, um, what what would be the best resource, resource that you would recommend to family members? It sounds like contacting the state ombudsman. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yep, definitely the state ombudsman and know that whatever you say to them is confidential and they can give you some advice on how to handle a situation or you could talk to them about helping with the situation. So they're there as a confidential resource, but always remember they are the advocate for the resident, not for you. So if your mom's diabetic and you don't want her eating pie and she wants to eat pie, they're going to support your mom. Mhm. Mhm. All right. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm going to post that on the website post about the show about contacting your state. Every state is different, but every state has an yep. ombudsman program. Yep. Federally so mandated. I, and I will also um, post the CMS website. Sounds um, good. Thank you. Compare. So thank you so much, Kim, and let's stay in touch. Let's have you back oh, always. in the future. Always. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpel.com. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com.
And we're back. If you're just um, joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And I just want to talk for a couple of minutes, and I'm going to see this will be a series, and I will be writing about it. You can read my blogs about it. Um, just about with all of the things going on in the world right now and, and the difficulties and the stress and the, the despair that many feel. Um, you know, I talked about it last time. How do we keep our passion? And then combine that with staying passionate no matter our age and even if we start to develop physical disabilities and end up in a nursing home as a resident. That's not not an advocate but an actual resident. How do we keep our passion? How do we keep keep going? How do we remain resilient? And um, since my mom has passed away, um, it's, uh, it will be it'll be a month on Wednesday. Um, I started thinking about her resilience and her passion at almost 95 years old. Um, living in a nursing home for the past two years and in assisted living since 2015, um, not being able to walk for the last two years, uh, being in a wheelchair much of the time, um, and having speech issues that made it difficult for people to understand, especially people who didn't know her. So when those substitute staff came in, they made assumptions about her, um, that she had dementia, they they didn't spend time understanding her. She did not have dementia, um, but they made that assumption because they couldn't understand her speech unless you spent time with her and and were patient and you got to know her speech and reminded her to slow down. Um, So how did how did she get through that? She remained resilient in the last two years in spite of all of those difficulties. My mom was probably the happiest that I'd seen her in a long time. She was medically stable, um, and she made new friends when she moved into the nursing home two years ago. She made really good friends who my whole family became friends with. And... Um, she made a point of of having somebody bring her down every day to see them. She went to concerts twice a week and would critique the music. Sometimes they had really good music and not sometimes it wasn't really her cup of tea. Um, and she and we Zoomed every afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time, which was 4 p.m. her time. Um, and I visited very frequently. Um, And when I would get on Zoom and she would see me popping up, she would give me a big smile. And um, for me, no matter what was happening in my day, seeing that smile and feeling her love um, changed changed my mood to a positive one. So how did she remain so resilient? How did she remain a person whose love was so healing 
that um, everyone who came into contact with her in the past few years, really, even before that, when she was in assisted living, everyone who came into contact with her felt special. They felt that she really cared about them. She got to know their story, the caregivers who worked with her, her friends, um, other staff members in the building. They all felt this love from her. Um, and I really think that 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 that's actually also the answer to the question. How did she remain so loving and caring and healing for other people and filled with passion and joy? And the answer is because she remained loving and caring. Um, and she was passionate about every everything about life, and she was grateful for every moment. She enjoyed the music so much. She enjoyed seeing her family. She enjoyed seeing friends. She enjoyed connecting with other people. Um, that connection with other people is so important in longevity and, and, and in health um, and in continuing uh, to have a, a positive outlook on life. And um, having that interest in other people is is not just good for the other people who still really felt special, but it was good for her. It's what kept her going. In fact, I remember a story of several years ago when my mom was in assisted living and she had a mild stroke, which was the reason that her speech became impaired. And she called me on the phone and I was here in Texas, and she was up there in, in, at that point in, uh, in New York State, in Yonkers. And she said, I think I'm having a stroke. So I called the nurse um, on her floor, and he ran into her room. He called EMS. And while they were waiting for EMS, she turned to him and asked him, how he was feeling because she knew he was going through a rough divorce. And he said to me afterwards, can you believe it? She was having a stroke and she was asking me about my life. But that was the way she was. And I really, and I really think that that is advice for everyone. And it's certainly a lesson for me that remaining interested in other people helps us to keep going. Um, she would, she would always ask me what I was reading. She was always interested in what I was, any books I was reading because she used to be an avid reader and her eyes were not good. She had cataracts and she couldn't read books anymore. So she would ask me to tell her the stories of books. She followed the news. She wanted to know what was going on in the news. She would express her distress over things going on in the world that were really, really difficult and distressing. And then she would say to me, okay, tell me something good going on. You know, did you go out? Did you see any friends? What have you eaten lately? What, you know, have you watched anything good on TV? Have you gone dancing? Like she really, she balanced it. And she taught me that. I haven't learned it 
as well as she was put it into action. But that was really a lesson that she was giving me every single day when we spoke on Zoom. Every day she was teaching me that it's really important to take care of yourself. And she would say to me, don't work so hard. You should travel. You should just go out and have fun. Um, And, you know, she really continued to have passion for life and um, gratitude for everything that she could still do. And she really fought to keep as much independence as she could, even when she started losing some independence. And she kept her mind going, listening to music, watching movies, listening me tell her about a book, playing gin rummy, talking with her friends. All of that is really important to keep the mind sharp, which is part of living a passionate life and remaining resilient. So I'm going to end these lessons for today, but I really feel like um, with everything going on in the world and, and in the discussion of of people living in nursing homes that we keep having, that the way for someone um, advanced in age to remain resilient, um, and for us who might be younger than that, the, the children of those elderly people to remain resilient and adaptive and being able to deal with what's happening in the world and in our lives and continuing to feel passion is that we really need to focus on the things that we enjoy and that we're passionate about um, while not ignoring the pain that, that others are going through, but rather than using anger to change that pain, um, using love and compassion and showing caring and understanding one person at a time, person to person. All right. So um, we're going to end that here, and I'll let you know what's happening in the next coming weeks. Next week we'll be playing an encore because that is Thanksgiving weekend, and I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving And then the following week, we'll be back live on December 3rd. And we had to postpone my interview with the L.A. filmmaker and actress Susie Singer-Carter due to those past couple of weeks being off. But she's now going to be on the program live on December 3rd. And she is going to be talking about her new documentary film, No Country for Old People. And this is a film based on her own experience as a family caregiver for her mother in a nursing home, talking about what she learned in a deep dive um, going into the dark side of even some of the best nursing homes and the systemic crisis in the nursing homes that have been going on for decades, um, as well as in um, health care for older adults. Um, so that should be really interesting. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, um, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and all of that information will be 
posted later tonight along with the podcast. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also listen in five minutes on Apple Podcasts. And again, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, for upcoming programs and events. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And I want to thank my guest, Kim Weaver, and thank you to Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring couple of weeks, a happy Thanksgiving, and remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.